0: Welcome to the inaugural season of This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley, the podcast. I'm your host, Sunil Rajaraman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Yasha Kekas-Wolf.
1: What's that 10,000 hours thing? Like, the, like if you just, I don't know, do podcast interviews for 10,000 hours, you're automatically put into the class of expert podcast people.
0: Well, I think if you do 10,000 hours of podcasts, you will have a sore throat and uh, you might have a viral infection. But Malcolm Gladwell is one of my least favorite authors <laughs> of all time. How can... But he has like the coolest haircut ever. He is so aloof looking and sounding, just the very thought of his voice makes me
1: cringe. <laughs> So, well, that's good to know. Um, I guess I got to bring back all your Christmas presents that I got in advance. We uh, we met Chris Michael. You've actually known him for a while. I met him for the first time when we did this interview. And I got to tell you, like, this guy is the epitome of the 10,000 hour idea. Like, He has been a hugely successful military man. He was an entrepreneur. He actually founded military.com um, back in the day in, in the late 90s. And then on top of that, has been a venture capitalist and now is a world-renowned photographer. Like, This is the guy who puts in the hours and becomes the expert in everything that he does.
0: I think that's one of the things that's really fascinating about him is that when he takes up a craft, he puts the time necessary into it, is not diverted, and is is really an artist at his core. And our discussion with him is, you know, really deep and fascinating about how photography has changed over time, how the city has changed over time. And, you know, whether he's optimistic or pessimistic about the future of San Francisco.
1: I loved this conversation. Like, it was so fun. And I wish it could have gone on and on and on. But I'll, I'll share one other thing that I thought was funny. So I didn't know him. You knew him. You said, hey, when Chris shows, he's going to take a picture of you. And I was like, whatever, dude. Like, nobody's. there's no reason this guy is going to show up who's this world-run photographer and he's going to take a picture of you. And he not only took a picture of you and me, but you also said on top of that is your prediction moment. And for those of you that don't know this, Sunil Sunil is probably one of the best – uh, psychics in san francisco and he's really good at predicting like all kinds of stuff that's gonna happen in this case he said he's gonna take your picture and you're gonna use it as your profile picture and lo and behold it's not only a picture that he took of you and i but both of our profile pictures and also the photo of both of us that are sitting on this website right now
0: and a little bit more about chris uh he has sat on the board of you know publicly traded companies including Castlight health he is a henry crown fellow at the aspen institute he's a prolific photographer And his photos have been used by National Geographic, the Smithsonian, the New York Times. And so we're excited for you to enjoy this discussion we had with Chris.
1: Thank you very much for being here and welcome to This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley podcast. As we do in the podcast, we want to start out first talking about you, really learning about you, in particular where you grew up or how you grew up. Um, We know that you've got a pretty interesting and exciting background, Um, so we'd love to hear a little bit about that. And then we want to talk about San Francisco and how what you learned growing up really relates to how you like San Francisco and how you interact with San Francisco. I'm glad to be here. It's super cool to be here at Mozilla offices under
2: the Hills Brother sign, right by the Bay Bridge, uh, a building that I've seen for years. I, I really love being here.
1: When we heard you might have even tried to live in it at
2: one point, I well, it was probably outside my price range, but i, <laughs> I considered I considered that one day maybe I could live here. Um, let's say I have a kind of an unusual background. Um, I was born in Florida to um, a Greek father and a Danish American mother, and then we moved to Chicago and my mother and father divorced because he moved to Greece and she married a Frenchman, and then we moved to Paris, and then we moved back to Chicago, and then to Connecticut, and then uh, back to Illinois, and I went to college in Illinois, and then I was in the Navy flying uh, P-3 Orion's hunting Russian submarines as a navigator, and then uh, fighting in the drug war. And then I went to the Pentagon, and on a lark, I was never interested in business. Uh, someone suggested I apply to Harvard Business School, and I did, and I think I was a diversity admit, and I went there, and my life changed uh, towards entrepreneurship and moved out here in uh, 1998. My startup had failed at business school, and uh, I worked in a consulting firm, and 10 months later, I had an idea for Military.com, which was my first company, and that started my life in San Francisco and my life as a technologist. And
1: Do you find that the movement around the world for you as a young person, as a child, has a relationship into the way that San Francisco is right now? I share this because what Sunil and I have found is we've talked to many different folks for this podcast that really nobody lives here, or nobody's from here. Not nobody lives here, nobody's from here. And so there's this kind of multicultural, kind of multi-perspectives that all show up here, and kind of uniquely, at least on the West Coast, kind of uniquely. So does that resonate with you at all?
2: Well, it does in the sense that I think San Francisco or Silicon Valley is an idea. It's an idea that draws people here. And that's not a new thing. I think it's been going on for over 100 years. This was the Wild West. This is where opportunity was made. And when I was at Harvard, you know, I was interested in technology and yeah. this was the place. So. I guess what I see is more of that. And now that we've popularized entrepreneurship and there's so many more tech companies and people use Facebook and Google and all of those sites, uh, we see even more people coming here, uh, mostly
1: around technology. When you moved here in the late 90s, did you move into San Francisco proper or did you move into the peninsula? I moved right here. I'd only been
2: to San Francisco once before.
1: Yeah. When I was in the Navy,
2: the airplanes I used to fly flew out of Moffett Field, but I I was living in Maine. And I remember visiting... um, Fisherman's Wharf, mm-hmm. and thinking, boy, I really don't like San Francisco. This is <laughs> this is in 1992, and uh, when I moved out here, I wasn't feeling actually that excited about being in San Francisco because that was my sort of memory of the place. Yeah, um, I moved um, immediately into a place called Golden Gateway, and which is right near the Ferry Building, and I lived in a you know 450 square foot studio apartment, and um, I really loved it.
0: So one thing that you left out of your background is that you're uh, kind of a world-class photographer. You've taken pictures of scenery, of, of very iconic buildings, et cetera, signs in San Francisco of people, all kinds of people. How have things changed over the last 20 years as you look at, as you think about things through your lens?
2: Well, to set the stage, after I sold my second company, I decided what it is I want to do with my life. And what I really wanted to do was take photographs that matter and make a difference in the world. So for the last 10 years, I've been shooting professionally and as a kind of primary focus. And a lot of my photography is outside of the Bay Area. So I like, I basically do environmental portraits. So people in unusual locations, probably stressed. So North Pole, South Pole, edge of space. Um, I spend six or seven months of the year doing that. But I love photography, and I carry my camera every day, and I carry it every day in San Francisco. And, Sunil, to your point, I've observed a lot of changes. And, you know, there's what what I think is changing, but then there's also when I observe my photographs, what's changed. One major change in all of my photographs is before 2007, there's no phones. And now in every photo, in every coffee shop, People all have their devices out. And, you know, I I don't like it in photographs, but there is something that could be positive. It's a little like photographing cars. A lot of photographers don't want cars in their photo, but they're thinking short term. If you take the Kevin Kelly Long Now Foundation view, in 50 years or 100 years, it'll be the clothing that we wear the devices that we use and the cars that we see that will date the photographs. Yeah. So it may be, and in fact, I just looked at my first iPhone and it looked different than I remembered. It's tiny. It's curved, you know? So when you see people with these devices, it may be in 10 or 20 years, people really think they're vintage shots. Yeah. So one, one yeah. category is um, how we're dressing, how we're acting, how we're using the, the devices around us um, have changed, but the city has also changed dramatically. the, most significant change I've seen is the whole Mission Bay area. So when I first moved here, there was nothing there. It was like a wasteland. And that is now a whole nother extension of the city. Do you see that as progress? Is that exciting or interesting for you as a photographer? I I would say like a lot of things, I have sort of mixed views on it. I like unusual, unfound places, Mm -hmm. not things that are overly manicured. So Mission Bay is becoming very processed and a bit homogenous, even in the design. Um, But for the most part, it's safe and it's nice and they're doing research and there's interesting people. So I guess I'm pleased uh, maybe more generally. Um, You know, a lot of other areas where maybe there should be progress, I question. Yeah. Uh, And then there are some areas, honestly, that um, I'm very disappointed about in the city where I've seen some changes that don't seem positive. So do you want to talk about one of those? Well, I moved from my beautiful studio apartment on Golden Gateway to a hundred year old brick and timber factory space at Fifth and Folsom. Basically every single day I deal with, and all of my neighbors also deal with, some of the most tragic visuals I've ever seen in my life. People on the streets dying, screaming, bleeding, assaulting, sleeping... And all of the other things I won't describe. And that has not been getting better. Yeah. It's been getting much, much, much worse. And in fact, in the last week, I had to call 911 three times for three physical assaults. You know, so nobody touched me, but I had people running after me. I had a fight start right in front of Blue Bottle. And in um one case, I actually the police came and they're like, Oh yeah, we know this person. We just released him from the hospital. You know, I had an opportunity to meet with the mayor. And I talked to him about it, and he said, well, you know, Chris, anytime I try to do something relating to the homeless, people think I'm being too aggressive. And he said, also, you know, things could be a lot worse than they are. And I have to say, I didn't leave that meeting with a lot of confidence. Right. You know, what I want to hear is a vision for what should be the greatest city in the world. We're one of the richest cities, one of the smartest cities, uh, one of the most progressive cities, and we have a problem that is not getting better And I think we should demand more, honestly. A solution should not be just more navigation centers or just more money. We should have a vision of no one living on the streets of San Francisco. These people need help. And it's not just homelessness. It's really mental illness and substance abuse. And, you know, our mayor and our government and all of us need to do a lot better. Because otherwise, um, this will
1: become one of the saddest places on earth. And that would be a real shame. When you think about the city of San Francisco, are you optimistic about our future here?
2: Well, I'm optimistic in the sense that a great leader or a great board of supervisors could make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I think we're, it's kind of, I mean, I could say this about the country too. I think we've been led so poorly for so long, you know, things could be a lot better than they are. You know, that part of that is the political process. And I think our mayor is not a bad person. I think he's a good person. Mm -hmm. But what we need is a leader that can bring us together. And I think we also need to have the courage to sometimes do things that are difficult. Like, it won't be easy you know, getting someone some help if they don't want it. But I would say the alternative of them dying on the streets is not better. So we have to sometimes choose between two things that are difficult. And, you know, this is where politicians get themselves in difficult situations all the time. Mm -hmm. So am I optimistic? If we have some people run for office that are good and they're doing it for the right reasons, I think the city can claim its rightful place as one of the great cities on the world. Otherwise, it's increasingly becoming one of the saddest cities I've seen, and I travel all of the time, yeah. and I've traveled to third world countries. We have elements of that in our city. But we also have two cities that are juxtaposed on top of each other. We have incredibly smart people, great coffee shops, incredible restaurants. We have a lot of people that care, and you know, there's a lot of negativity around tech people or tech bros, but I think for the most part, these people do care, and yeah. I think they do care about the city. And we need to start Not thinking of them as the problem, but we're all in this together. And Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know, I guess I'm generally optimistic that that potentiality will be realized. But I think, you know, I don't want to wait. I'm frustrated. I'm ready for it to happen now. I'm ready for a vision for the city. And the vision shouldn't be, it's better than it could be. I think the vision should be, we're going to have the world's greatest, cleanest, Best operating, most humane city in the world.
0: What are some things that you see again you know, through your lens or just in your general experience that are real trends that are going to happen, you know, that are going to affect the entire world? You talked about the smartphone. The rest of the world and the country, you know, fetishized San Francisco and the Silicon Valley in a way. No one would have guessed that people, you know, want a device that they could touch and, you know, browse the web all the time and constantly. Are there other things like that, that you're seeing? That will will be pervasive in the, in the near future?
2: Well, you know, it's sometimes difficult for me to say. I mean, there's a few trends that I see. There's the technology trend. You know, one technology trend I'm seeing is a kind of recognition that social media is causing us some unhappiness. Mm-hmm. And I have lots and lots of friends that are quitting Facebook or they're taking the devices off of their phone. And so it may appear that we're moving even more rapidly into full-on always connected. But I think that there could be a reaction and I'm starting to see it. And, I, you know, by the way, it may be that that's actually already happened in other places and we're slower to adopt. I don't know if we're leading that, but I, I'm seeing that with my friends. You know, Om just wrote a great, uh, Om Malik just wrote a great post today about happiness and his circle of friends and how these technologies that promise to connect us do so, but sometimes at a cost of our own. Um, happiness and contentment. Maybe that's one area. In a slightly more frivolous way, I love coffee. You know, I never drank coffee until I was 30. And my first coffee... How does that happen? I, you know, I was in the Navy, too, and they drank coffee at the time. I thought it was kind of gross. I don't know. <laughs> and I, and when I was writing my business school applications, I had my first mocha. Mocha is the gateway drug to coffee, you know? You have that, and then pretty soon you're having a coffee, and then you're drinking, like, the triple espresso, you know? And I want to... I mean, I don't know about you, but did you guys go to Starbucks? What was your first coffee shop that you... Starbucks. Starbucks? Yeah, Starbucks. So you go to Starbucks, and it seems cool, and the coffee seems good, and then you try good coffee, and then you realize that Starbucks is not that drinkable. I I don't like it. I, I mean, I really can't even drink it. Now if you go there, it's, like, unrecognizable. They sell so many different, you know, pastries and funny drinks that I, it's hard to even know what you're ordering, but I, I can't drink the coffee <laughs> because I go to Blue Bottle and Cyclass and St. Frank and, you know, Viva La Tarte and Pinhole and Andytown, Verve, which they just opened on Market Street, and these are sustainable coffee places that, that care a lot about the coffee, and it's delicious. And I think, honestly, that this is the trend in the country. If I were running Starbucks, I'd be worried because yeah. honestly, I, I think it's more than just it isn't cool. I think it's just the coffee doesn't taste great, you know? So that's a problem. It's not a problem if you've never tried other coffee, but if you have, it's hard to go back. I don't know. Do you, do you guys have a...
0: Yeah, I agree. And I'm seeing some of these fills. Uh, you, you have Blue Bottle. You have other yeah. places that are yeah you know, coming up. And you, you of course, have uh, your, your supporter of Blue Bottle. Are you excited about the Nestle acquisition? Do you think that that will affect... The quality. It's a great question. Well, Blue
2: Bottle is of the third wave coffee roasters. They're the ones that took the biggest step. I'm an, I'm an investor in the company, and the company started to roll out more and more Blue Bottles, and they're very focused on quality. Mm-hmm. And you know, There's always a, a question, can a company scale and continue to deliver quality? So far, they've been doing that. Uh, Brian, me, and the CEO, uh, and James, the founder, are very focused on it. Obviously, they sell to Nestle. You know, That causes some anxiety with some sure. people because some people don't like Nestle or some people don't like the little company selling out to the big company, I'm, I'm not worried. I yeah. think they the buyer is smart as a lot of buyers are where they're like, well, let's not wreck the thing that we bought. So I think it's going to be fine. And what we might find is this is the, it's not the death knell for Starbucks, but this could cause them some anxiety.
0: What's your favorite place to photograph in San Francisco landmark?
2: So my favorite photo shoots I've gotten to do in the city is I went with the Bay Lights project, Illuminate the Arts. So the Long Now Foundation said, oh, we want to go out with the Bay Lights people and photograph. And so basically, I mean, I, you know, I was in the Navy. I've done some kind of hardcore things, but I don't love heights. I don't love it. And uh, they're like, we're going to go climb the cables and, you know, you're going to climb the cables and you're going to go take some photographs. I go to the Bay Bridge and it's Stuart Brand. It's me. It's Xander from a Long Now Foundation. It's an engineer and it's the Illuminate the Arts team. And they basically hand us some climbing ropes and a harness, and we drive out to the center of the Bay Bridge. They put up a cone in front of their car. We climb over the side of the Bay Bridge, and when you climb over the side of the Bay Bridge, there's essentially, it's not exactly a true value hardware like ladder, but kind of roped in. And it's like start climbing and you're so you're up you're like hanging off the bridge and you're climbing up this ladder and you get to the top and there's like the cable then you clip in you know if you fell I mean I think the worst thing that can happen is you would dangle there above the cars and so for the first like 20 feet you know you are really trying to keep it together <laughs> and Jeez. it's and it's you know and you climb up and you know it gets really steep at the end and I'm getting yeah. all these good photos and at the end you have to like unclip and a guy is in a little like room up there with a hatch, and he's got a pole, and on the end of the pole is another hook. So he's trying to hook... You're holding your hook, and he's trying to hook it. He's missing over and over again. One inch to the right or left, I'm off the side of the bridge. And he just keeps missing anyway. I got some great photos from that. And I will say, it, it, did, it did affect my um, dealing with heights. The... Recommendation I have for San Franciscans and other people visiting is San Francisco isn't one place. Yeah. It's a lot of neighborhoods. And I've lived here 18 years, and there are so many cool neighborhoods. And I just found one last week. I wouldn't think that I could find a new neighborhood. I'd never been to Diamond Heights. Yeah. And I'd never been to, um, is it Glen Canyon Park? Yeah. There's a huge, giant park down there with, like, all sorts of – it's, like, hidden in the city. I don't think anyone knows. But i have other favorite parts of the city bernal heights i go to pinhole coffee on Cortland avenue which is amazing north beach is my favorite neighborhood you know cafe trieste is the coolest of the old school coffee shops yeah it's amazing amazing place the filbert steps walking through there is amazing i love the sunset the outer sunset i love being on judah um java beach cafe is amazing you know There's a lot of great places in the city. And Treasure Island, you know, is really something, and it's going to be something else. Um, So I like going out to the other neighborhoods. You know, if you're a tourist coming here, you know, do yourself a favor and don't make the mistake I made and come to Pier 39, other than to see the sea lions. (laughs) They're they're cute.
0: Well, we have a a closing question that we ask all of our guests about uh, your favorite Twitter follows. So who are are your must-follow people on Twitter?
2: One of, the, one of the people I really like to follow is um, the host of Marketplace and NPR, Kai Risdahl. K-A-I-R-Y-S-S-D-A-L. And I've taken his photograph a number of times for his new show, Make Me Smart. Molly Wood, who also works at... They are super smart, irreverent, and uh, on the problem. That's probably my
1: favorite photo. They're wonderful. And Molly happens to be a Bay Area local. I just did a photo shoot with her just last week. Yeah. That's she's, like a... Du- she, you got, you awesome. get like the double award. For the favorite Twitter follow, for picking somebody that's a local as well. That's awesome. Molly Wood is the coolest. Yeah. She's really awesome. And then, you know,
2: Om Malik, I love. At Ohm.
0: Yeah, he's good. And he's a great writer.
1: And and the bold italic,
0: of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Chris, it was really lovely having you here. This was a great uh, interview. And yeah. We developed. could have
1: gone on forever and ever. So thank you so much for being here today. Okay, we'll be here next week. Same time. <laughs> same time. <laughs> same same, same place. place. Same place. <laughs>
0: Thank you for joining us for today's episode of This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley, the podcast. We are always looking for great topic suggestions and suggestions for future guests. Email us at info at if you have suggestions on either. Thanks for spending some of your time today with us, and we hope you enjoy the rest of season one.